0: Welcome to my new season of Perfect Strangers! You know, when you move to new places, you can feel disconnected or even awkward sometimes. And that's because you are lost in translation, you don't have the codes for the new culture. The culture shock can be pretty hard, and you can even feel reverse culture shock if you decide to go home after a few years, which is kind of crazy. But being the new kid on the block, pushes you to really try to understand what you have in common with other human beings and teaches you cultural humility. And I want to share this experience with you and my guests. So let's begin. Today, I'm very happy to introduce Kirk, who grew up in Florida from Jamaican parents. As a child and then a teenager, it was a little bit complicated for him because he was not recognized as an African-American by African-American kids, but was seen as one by other kids. So he had to learn how to navigate different groups and be accepted. Today, he considers the skill he acquired doing that to have been essential in his success as an adult. So let's ask him a few questions. Kirk, uh, welcome to Perfect Strangers.
1: It's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I followed a 2 days podcast workshop, and you were one of the speakers?
1: That's correct. Yes.
0: And I it's- really enjoyed your presentation and all the tips you gave, and you spoke about the fact that you were a TCK child, and I was kind of, oh! That's right. That's a potentially interesting <laughs> guest for my podcast.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. I just always find it interesting when we're able to meet people in virtual spaces, but you know, you have that immediate connection because as we are sharing, we're sharing more than you would if you were in a room, if that makes sense. I'm using my stories from my life to as analogies for the point that I want to get across and of course I talked about being a third culture kid and then like to add to that my children were third culture kids as well because we moved from the united states to south africa when my daughter was four months old so we lived there for five years and so they were also you know, third culture kids as well so it's crazy how how all of that can work out and then moving back to the states and then having that same experience again you know so there it's, it's interesting how those dynamics can kind of play out but yeah absolutely
0: I found it very interesting, the fact that you just said that you children went through the same experience. So if we begin from your experience as a child,
1: sure, if you can
0: tell us a little bit, what was your family background and where you grew up?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My my family's from the beautiful, gorgeous island in the Caribbean, probably one of the best. I'm not biased, but it's called Jamaica. Shortly after they got married, they migrated to the United States and uh began living and, and working here. We were first lived in New York, but then quickly moved to Florida. So while I was born in New York, I always tell people I'm a Florida boy. I, I don't know anything about New York. I only from visiting as, as a kid multiple times and still have family up there and stuff. So growing up in Florida as a African-American male, right, there's just so many, you know, this is the traditional South, right? And all of the things that go along with living in the South in the United States, in the early 80s, right? I was born in 79. So a lot of different racial tensions and situations to navigate as a as a young man growing up. And my parents, while they were cognizant that this was the case, it was not their lived experience. And so when of some of the times when people hear the term third culture kid, they're they're kind of trying to figure out what does that mean exactly? Well, at home, I had a culture. Uh, and that was very much Jamaican culture. And that's what I knew. And then outside of the home, there was the American culture. right. So those are the two main cultures that I integrated with. But I was a third culture (laughs) because I'm an amalgamation of the two. Right. So they didn't quite accept me, accept me. I I could never tell, say, to my older cousins or my family members who were actually born in Jamaica that I'm Jamaican because they'd be like, no, 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 you're not Jamaican. (laughs) You were born in the United States. But then the Americans would not necessarily let me claim being fully American either. Right. They were like, no, 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 no. You, you guys eat curry chicken, curry goat. You guys have all these other little traditions and things. You speak a different language at home, even though it's just broken English. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so, you know, you're in between. There's a, a music artist that came out right around when I was in high school and, and he had this song called Born Jamaicans and it, it's embodied, you know, the whole third culture thing. Cause they kind of get in, gave it a name. So you weren't American. You weren't Jamaican. You're, you're in between. You're this Jamaican. You know, so that was the kind of the, the, my lived experience. You know, there's so much other layers to the thing as well. I mean, because uh, we've only talked about home and, you know, my friends uh, who are largely African-American, you know, so Jamaican and African-American, but then outside of the African-American community, there is white America, Asian America, Hispanic America, and they did not see a difference at all. Right. So there's this other component where they they look at me and they just see me blended in, in with all the other black Americans. They just they just paint you with one brush where those who understood a little bit closer, they're like, oh, you're slightly different. And you have those <laughs> dynamics that you, you work with. I remember my dad saying to me, you know, that he was uh, he, he had his own business. He's a carpenter and architectural millwork is the technical term that that he does. He designs cabinets and and different things for specific spaces. It's custom, everything. So he would get a lot of jobs and different things like that. There are several other cabinet shops in, in the city where we live, St. Petersburg, Florida. But in his case, because he's Jamaican, the contractor's largely white, the interior designers, the people who are doing the building projects, they have to choose between these cabinet shops to give the job to. And if it came down to my dad and another cabinet shop who happened to be African-American, they would give it to my dad because he's Jamaican. And he knew that. Uh, He didn't have any problem with that. Now, not, not to say that he took advantage of it, but he looked at it from the perspective of, hey, They're going to give me the job, but you guys come and work with me on it because I can't take, I can't get the whole thing Mm -hmm. done. So just because they quote unquote, see me as slightly different than you, because I'm Jamaican, let's use that to our advantage. That was not well received.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's, I mean, that you're saying it's strange because the kids, they would see you as black. So they couldn't see the difference with other African-American, but the adults, They would choose what they would consider a little bit of foreigner Mm -hmm, and differentiate. And that's crazy.
1: Put you in a different level and a different group altogether. And, you know, there's all kinds of theories. Some of them are very valid in terms of, you know, what the impact and effect that had on different people, indigenous groups. And of course, those who migrated to the States Um, and what that work ethic was, I think. You know, they have their place. They have their, you know, places in those conversations. But what I'm sharing is really more so my family and I's lived Mm -hmm. experience, right? So I I know that people are going to have their responses as they're listening to the podcast. They're like, "That's wrong. Your dad was wrong." Listen, fam, we were just trying to make it. I mean, honestly, we're new in this country, trying to understand the dynamics. Did we always get it right? Absolutely not. To this day, I will tell you even when, when it was time for us to select a school to go to for college for myself, my parents were like, uh, eh, let's not go to a HBCU. And HBCU is a historically black college university, right? Let's not go to a HBCU because of the treatment that we received from African-Americans while growing up. Now it, you have to keep that in mind, not because we saw it as lesser or greater. Mm-hmm. We just knew the treatment we received. Now, Hindsight, like if was, I talk to my parents now, I'm I'm in my 40s, and I actually have worked for a number of years at an HBCU. Now, hindsight, in hindsight, we can all say it wasn't necessarily a wrong decision. It was an uninformed decision, right? We only made that decision based on the information we had available to us at the time. If we knew what we know now, we may have considered differently. We may not have made a different choice we may have still gone to the schools that we went to but we would have done that for a totally different reason and i think that is where a lot of people don't give themselves enough grace to say i'm still living through you know yep. what i mean I, my position and my perspective is still shifting with time as i gain more experiences as i'm exposed to more people and that's why i love platforms like yours and this podcast where you get a chance to just talk through you know what are some of those stories what are some of those dynamics Those are some of the pieces I think that make us who we are. And we we have to be able to embrace those pieces for the good and the bad. Right. I mean, it's just it is a part of me. Now we can debate whether or not it was right or wrong, but it is a part of my history and part of my makeup, part of my lived experience.
0: Yeah, it's as you say, it's not right or wrong. You make choice at a certain point with the information you have, and it was not on you, Dad. If these white guys prefer to take yeah. foreigners in a way, because it was <laughs> not part of this old history, this American That's history, correct. and the relationship that people have linked to the past, and it was new in the middle of that. Yeah. But it's crazy to think that they will have this prejudice on the African American population that they won't uh-huh. have
1: on someone else
0: yeah that's incredible (laughs) i didn't know that at
1: all it is absolutely crazy i I will also hasten to add that one of the other things that my parents did i think that was very good for us and this is not characteristic of many immigrants unfortunately what i'm about to share is not what we as immigrants normally do but i think what they did was really good for us as children is they made sure we understood the history of the african-americans they made sure we went to the different museums. We read the books. We watched the movies. They made sure we plugged into the culture because they recognized that even though they are Jamaican and you know their their childhood and their mindsets, their perspective is largely set in stone to an extent. They re- recognized that their children were being raised in this American society and nobody's really making a distinction between African and African caribbean They just look at you and say, you're black, right? So they wanted us to make sure we were plugged into all of the different things. So I have a huge understanding and respect. And I think that's where immigrants do have an uh, onus and responsibility. You come to a country, there are people that fought for you to be able to experience what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so we do not take that for granted. We, we stand on the shoulders of freedom fighters that cause us to experience life as it currently is here in the United States. So, you know, there's a tension and a balance that you have to, you know, really try and thread that needle Safely. So, yes, you can feign ignorance up to a point because it, the onus is on you to now go and understand why it is the way that it is.
0: Rastafari, live at, yeah? Oh, yes, yeah. Earth, wind, and fire,
1: fire, in fire
0: Yes, Rasta, make no mistake, yeah? Oh, yeah. For you as a child, so growing up in United States, I guess sometime you would go back to Jamaica. For oh, yeah. Vacation. Oh, yeah. So was it very different, the situation? I mean, was it really strange for you to see the two realities or not really?
1: No, you know, for us as children, and I'm assuming anybody that's out there, that you Jamaican like me, you're probably going to resonate with what I'm about to say. There's We almost idolized everything that was Jamaican. <laughs> so, <laughs> so because, you know, you, you live in between these two worlds and at, at home, which is the dominant culture, it's Jamaican. So they would talk about all kinds of stuff. Sugar cane, they'd talk about the games that they would play. They would talk about the rivers and they would talk about the mangoes time and all the different, the culture, just the huge, rich, vibrant, gorgeous culture of Jamaica. And we just didn't have that. So whenever we would go, I mean, it was just, you know, we'd tell our friends who were also Jamaicans, oh, we're going to Jamaica. Oh, my gosh, bring me back this. Oh, my goodness. It was just, you know, being able to touch those places and walk, you know, on that soil. It's like almost like a sacred experience, you know, that. So for us, it was very different and not in a bad way at all. It wasn't I I don't think we were mature enough to really be thinking about it from the perspective of oh you know there, there' are black people in power there's black people in government or anything like that I never really thought about that as a child I just thought oh we're finally going to Jamaica I can <laughs> I can I can be part of this history and this heritage that my parents have shared with me and then even even to this day my family and I even with my kids we try to go to Jamaica uh, we try to give them that experience because we want them to know that like, this is your roots. My wife is also right. Jamaican so you know that, that does help for, for us to be able to have that shared history and shared culture so. So yeah, I, I hope that answers that because yeah, we mm. we we looked at it with almost reverence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I was Absolutely. wondering as um, a child growing up, what do you think are the skills you developed because of your situation where you had to find your place as you say, being mm-hmm. not totally Jamaican, not t- totally uh, African-American. So what are the skills you think you developed as a child uh, that maybe you still have now that makes you different?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, that's an easy one for me. Uh, one of the So I'm, a, I'm an IT professional by trade and training. So I, I work my way through the ranks of technology from level one tech support to being chief information officer of organizations, companies, and even hired institutions. So... One of the reasons I attribute my transition from tech work to leadership is my ability to speak the language of many different groups. So when I'm in the C suite, I can speak to those in executive leadership and speak their language. I can sit with my treasurer or CFO and speak the language of finance. I can sit with my uh, business unit leaders and department heads and speak their language as well and translate the Technology into their terms so that we can find the best solutions. The reason why I was able to speak all those languages, is because as a kid, you had to learn to be able to switch. So when I was with my African American friends, I knew exactly what to say. I knew how to exist in that culture. When I was at home with largely Jamaican culture, I knew how to exist in that culture. I knew how to hang with my other Jamaican friends who also knew how to switch. And we would, in the midst of conversations, switch from One thing to the next. And then, of course, going through higher ed and of course starting to work in corporate America and in some of the more professional spaces and spaces that had dominant culture, like you know, so white folk, I was able to exist in those spaces as well and and kind of learn those languages and being able to really shift on a dime, if you will. Those skills I learned as a child. I learned being able to go and kind of go between those cultures. And even to this day, it is a skill set that I often teach learning the language of industry. One of the things I would share with other aspiring IT professionals was, man, if you want to get out of just what you're doing and expand to some of the other areas, you need to learn the language of the industry that you're in. So every industry that I was in started in NASA. So that's government and then moved to T. Rowe Price, which is stocks, bonds, mutual funds, the investment world. Then went into nonprofit, working for an NGO overseas as a missionary and then in higher education. And all of those, I was still speaking tech, right? But it also speaking the language of that industry related to tech. So I attribute a lot of what I do to this day. Even the training that I do, a lot of, you know, my training is very contextual, right? So I, I train people how to do media, live streaming, podcasting, like you where we met. And it's finding those analogies that will really drive home the point for the person. That's really what it's all about. And that's something that I know is one of my superpowers and it's something that I I leverage wherever I go. And I know that the basis for that comes from that piece of my story. So
0: that's a great point I have to say, because you need to figure out how to blend in and how to be able to communicate.
1: I'll also add, not to cut you off, but I'll also add that. One of the reasons I think I was successful in, as a missionary is because of that same thing, being able to walk into this new culture. Right. So and, and for those that don't know, South Africa is a melting pot in and of itself. There are a lot of Indians in that culture. Then you have the different tribes, seven different national languages. Um, and you, you can hear all seven in the, in one day. I mean that seriously. I did a number, a lot of work in Madagascar, a lot of work in in Seychelles and Reunion and Mauritius. And I'm saying those because those countries have very similar accents to yours. And so I, even as I'm hearing you, I have no problem picking up what you're saying because I'm so used to working with people with that accent. So again, just all of those skills coming back to bear. Yeah.
0: And now when you look at your children, do you recognize things from your own childhood, the way they're going to find ways to communicate or the way they look at things, or they make friends? or
1: I recognize some similarities, but I also some differences as well. And unique differences that I think are benefits that they will have that I didn't have. And one time my, my son was talking to a, a friend and, you know, this old saying, like, we can't waste the food. There are hungry kids in Africa. And my kids looked at my the friend and was like, I didn't meet any hungry kids when I lived in Africa. They, we ate very well. In fact, we ate better there than we eat here. And I just realized like, okay, his entire perspective <laughs> is totally different having lived in Africa uh, as opposed to those who just hear about it on TV, right? So largely the kids he's in school with, even though they look exactly like. You know, they act exactly alike, but his perspective, having lived there, is just completely different. And so I recognize that I'm saying their worldview will be much broader. They'll be, I think, a lot more inclusive, a lot more inquisitive as well, maybe even more respectful of different cultures. As a child growing up, especially being Jamaican, I didn't even realize that there were other cultures in the Caribbean. I thought it was all Jamaican. Right. My kids have that now, whereas I had to kind of grow into that uh, because I, I didn't do international travel as a kid. So I, I see those differences. I think there'll be benefits for them as they grow into adulthood. They're 11 and 12, by the way.
0: They were small, you said, in South Africa and they came back mm-hmm. to the United States. It was not a problem for them to get into the American culture coming from South Africa.
1: No, I don't, I, I think, I think, I think for by and large, they, they just didn't really see the difference between the mm-hmm. two. Um, yeah. And anybody who has been to South Africa and you know that there's, it's a, it's a tale of two worlds. There's abject poverty, just gross, rampant, you know, poverty, but there is a very, you know, thriving middle class, um, not as large as it probably needs to be, but, and then there's this just ridiculous wealth. And so we were we were part of that middle class. I I would say we we lived well. Um, but then there's just different portions of culture. Uh, I'll give you one example. In South Africa, it was very common to have help. Right, so a helper would mm-hmm. come to the house and they would help you with different chores, cleaning, laundry, different things like that. And. um we resisted this at first when we first moved there because we we're like, oh, no, we we're, it, we've, having the American mindset like this is a this is a status symbol. I'm not going to pay somebody to come and clean my house. Who am I? I can clean it myself. Um, And then some of our friends, locals uh, who explained to us, no, that's not at all what having help means. Actually, it is considered an offense to be able to afford help and not have help because you are stopping that flow of, of money mm-hmm. that could go to a family who needs that job. And once they explained it like that, I was like, oh, wow. So we had help, right? and but that concept of having this helper and, you know, we treated her as almost a member of the family that stayed with the kids as well. So then when we moved back to the States, they're like, man, so we got to iron our own clothes, huh? <laughs> we, man. So Sundays we're just going to be doing laundry every Sunday, huh? I'm like, yeah. Man, South Africa was nice, you know. So there is this <laughs> this balancing act, and of course, it's definitely going to have impact on their perspective.
0: Yeah, the more that you travel, the more you see different realities, and uh, yeah. If it was possible, I would make it mandatory for everybody yeah. to go live somewhere else for a while, just to be much more. Aware of different yeah. culture and the uh, yeah you know perspective and the
1: yeah that's it it opens your perspective and um it's, it broadens your world view. The more we can be citizens of the world, and I think this is one of the things that social media is doing for us. One of the things that that podcasts are doing for us is just kind of flattening the the playing field. But travel. Drives that thing home just that much more deeper. So, you know, experiencing a culture online through social media is, is one thing. My, my, I have some younger cousins who absolutely love Bollywood. Anything, anything Bollywood puts out, they just absolutely love that stuff. And I'm like, you guys need to go visit India one day. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, because you'll see some of the things you, you see in those movies. Mm-hmm. You'll see it on display there and it'll just have much more meaning and impact. Uh, when you're actually physically experiencing it live,
0: also as you said, finding the common ground, mm. I think that's great because you can go somewhere where the culture is completely different, the religion, you know, that all the habits, values around family, you know, uh, social relationship, but still, there is some common ground as human being, and I love that. You know, that's
1: it. There's always a way to find those commonalities that that bind us together because we're all human. So. That's good.
0: So thank you very much, Kirk. Do you have something you would like to add to what you said?
1: One of the things that I'm often asked to do as having come out of higher ed, I'm I'm always often asked to go back and um, share with graduating seniors who are about to, you know, quote, unquote, take on the world. And one of the things I always encourage them to do before they, you know, find a job and get a car payment and maybe even get married and settle down, I always tell them you've got to collect experiences you've got to do some travel you want to broaden your perspectives it's going to change you for the better if you go into places where you know no one and with the idea with the determination that you're going to meet somebody new and you're going to make a friend you're going to find that common ground and and you're going to learn something from them don't always come to the table with the perspective that i am going to teach or that i know it all come with the perspective that says while i may have something to share it's just one piece of the whole and and the whole conversation is going to be beneficial to all of us. Just being able to say, tell me more. That is the the line that I love is, oh, how's that work? Because in fact, that's the name of my show, How It All Works. But that is kind of my my mode for life is exposing myself to new experiences and having respect and reverence for other people's culture. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong.
0: I think exactly the same. So you yeah. say it in a much better way than I would. So thank
1: you for that, Kirk. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been phenomenal.
0: You know, I really enjoyed your honesty and your authenticity in this interview. And I wish you all the best. Good luck for thank you. all your projects. And uh, thanks again for uh, accepting my invitation.
1: It's been my pleasure. This is one of my favorite topics. Thank you.